Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. Tonight, we take a closer look at the healthcare industry and how a shortage of professionals, including doctors, is having a tremendous impact on recruitment. So what does that mean for you and your family? Well, let's find out. Joining me now, Kathy Jordan. She is founder and CEO of Jordan Search Consultants. Thank you so much for being here, Kathy. Thank you, Shirley. I am really excited about this conversation because I have read study after study, research after research, showing that there is a shortage of doctors. So tell me, what is the state of healthcare recruitment right now? Well, it's a physician-driven market. Um, we any physician can go exactly where they want to go you know we're at a different phase because there's such a shortage nationwide physicians are able to say I want to practice with your family I want to practice here and any community is going to need that physician so that's changed over the years it used to be there were only so many openings for a cardiologist so you went interviewed for the ones that uh, were available throughout the country and you selected what you where you wanted to be now you can dictate where you want to go so what that means is many, in many hospitals, many organizations, rural communities are really being impacted by a shortage of physicians. They're not being able to have the providers that they need in their communities to be able to serve the, the population. So we're really starting to see it, and that's led to many changes in healthcare, including telehealth and different, different things we're trying to do to remedy the situation so that patients still have access to the high quality of care. And so what is driving the shortage? Are we seeing physicians retiring, so there's like this attrition process? Right. Finding more people not going into medicine as what was the case? I mean, what is driving the It's a combination the of all that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a combination of the aging population, um, uh, the boomers obviously are coming now with chronic illnesses. We're the largest population there is. So that's creating a need for more physicians, more specialists. Then we have aging physicians. Uh, probably 50% of the physicians at this stage are over the age of 55. Um, and that's kind of an alarming number. And I don't even know the percentage that are actually at 65 and above. So they're retiring. And then while medicine used to be a career driven by a lot of it was not just wanting to be a physician, but also the financial piece, they can go into so many more careers now where they're making the same amount of money. So healthcare doesn't have that draw that it had. Um, but what we are getting are physicians that are choosing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So we have the shortage of physicians. Not, we're not producing enough. We have the aging population. We have aging physicians that are retiring. And then with the new healthcare models, we have over 30 million people that have now come into the healthcare realm that need care that weren't in that system before. So how does that impact families and how does that impact you and me? Well, it's time to get an appointment with a physician. I'm sure anybody that's called the office, you know, you may need to wait two, three weeks if for just a and primary care apartment. If you need something from a specialist, you know, well beyond that. Um, so that's creating a, that a difficulty to be able to get into your physician. It's causing all the urgent care centers to now open up to try to treat the not so urgent cases. 
Um, it's causing telemedicine to develop where people can now call a physician's office, perhaps, you know, whether it be via video, you know, be able to get that care. Um, so it's causing just new models of care. But for the rural populations, I think that's the toughest because physicians don't want to go to the rural communities. You know, 20% of the population lives in a rural community, but 90% of the physicians are in an urban center. So it's that drive to the urban center. It's, you know, it's getting access to the care in these rural communities, um, to, which are, tend to be the sickest of the sick uh, and communities that really need the best care. So what do you do to remedy that situation? Because that's devastating when you think about it. It is, it is. it's really tough. Um, right now, the, the nurse practitioners and PAs are uh, soaring through the, the health system to be able to now serve in some of those communities as well as in your primary care office. I don't know about you, but if, when I go to my physician, 90% of the time I see the, primary, uh, the uh, nurse practitioner, and I'm absolutely fine with that when it's something minor. Mm -hmm. You know, then when it's something a little more detailed, then my physician comes on board. So that's helping to be able to see more patients. Uh, in the rural communities, those nurse practitioners and PAs are providing immediate care uh, with a physician off-site that is rotating through possibly on a weekly, bi-weekly basis, but immediately available by telemedicine should they be needed. And PAs, physician assistants. Correct, physician yes. assistants and nurse practitioners. Right. So tell me about how this impact um, minority communities and underrepresented communities. That, uh, again, there's, there's patient-centered medical homes that are opening up to really serve that underserved population. And the focus is switching now, not to just what's wrong with you today, but how do we prevent you from getting sick? You know, how do we pre do preventive medicine? It's an interdisciplinary team that is treating, you know, your diet, your diet, making sure that you're eating right, exercising, making sure, you know, some of the patients in the medical homes are providing transportation, you know, to make sure those patients are getting in for their care. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, that's really treating that population of minorities and underserved that need it the most. Yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, this just impacts everyone across the board, including patients who want home care. Correct. How does that figure into all of this? Well, the home care, you know, much is being monitored now at home. Um, so the physicians can send you home with different monitoring things, you know, with your pacemakers or whatever, to be monitoring your care with follow-ups via video. Um, so that's a new model that's really developing, especially in the rural communities where the access to go in and have things checked, you know, you may have an hour drive into a physician. Um, so those are new models that are coming forward for the rural communities, as well as, you know, just in, the, in anyone's home that has a chronic illness, which, you know, majority of the boomers at this point have at least one, um, sometimes multiple chronic illnesses that need to be cared for. And, you know, a lot of times we don't think about it, but these are patients from as young as infants mm -hmm. through our senior citizens. I mean, all Correct. across the board are impacted by this Correct. right now. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. So tell me then, when you start to recruit, mm -hmm. what are the factors that you take into consideration when you are recruiting physicians and support staff and nurses in those areas? Correct. Well, I think in today's market, um, you really, the, like I said, the physicians have the options. Mm -hmm. You know, they're in control. They can go anywhere. That's different. It didn't used to be that way. So. Um, the organizations that we recruit for really have to put their best foot forward. And we come in and we learn what their, what their culture is. 
you know, somebody that's going to fit well in a large health system like BJC or you know, one of the systems, bigger systems in St. Louis might not work as well down in Farmington or one of the smaller communities. So we want to learn your culture. We want to learn um, what works well for your organization because the big thing is retention. The worst thing that can happen is you spend the money to recruit a physician and then within three months or three years, they're saying, you know what, my family's not doing well here or you know, this just isn't a good cultural fit for me. You know, around 35 to 40 percent of the reasons physicians leave a practice is because it's not a good cultural fit. Really? So that's one of the reasons that we really focus on that. When we come in to help an organization recruit, we want to understand your culture. We talk to practicing physicians that are already in practice. We pra talk to the new physicians that have been recently recruited. Why did you join here? Are you happy? You know, what, what's good? What's, what do you wish you could change? We feed a lot of that back to our clients because um, it's important for them to know as they build a retention model to be able to keep their physician. So, so let's talk more about culture. What does culture look like? You know, it goes beyond just, you know, um, the look, the feel. It goes to the leadership. You know, what is the leadership like? Is it transparent? Do they, you know, do they hold others accountable? Um, are, is it a younger crowd? When you walk around the hospital, you walk around a physician's office, are there pictures of families around? You know, do you have it, are you free to be able to consult, do your desk as you would want it to be? That all speaks to a different kind of culture. Do the people have their own offices or do they work in, in more cubicles? Even the physicians, sometimes they have the cubicles. cubicles. Younger physicians don't mind that. You know, they've been trained in different type of settings. So, and then it's learning what the older physicians, let's just, you know, that's been in practice for 25 years, how they interact with the younger physicians. You know, you need to be able to know that they respect each other. You know, so often we hear older physicians, and this is more when you're looking in a small practice group, don't like the younger physicians' mindsets, they don't know, you know, they think they're know-it-all. Um, but in reality, both, call, both of them can share and become better physicians and provide better care if they listen to each other. You know, take the younger physician who is more adept at using his iPhone or, you know, to be the able technology. to. Yeah. The technology to access information. You know, I've had one client that said, you know, this doctor is just always on his phone. I said, well, what's he doing? You know, and I said, have you asked him? So they finally, did, you know, had a conversation. He said, no, when I get out of a patient's room, that's, I'm on there trying to figure out, you know, look at what I can find to make sure I have the best course of treatment for the patient. You know, here he thought he was doing personal things on that iPhone. So it's just a matter of understanding each other. And some practices do that really well and some don't. And that's where this consulting comes in to actually educate. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's all a matter of education, education. and educating everyone as to what their roles are and how they go about carrying out their respective right. responsibilities. Because when you said he's on the phone, that was my first thought. Yeah. He's looking up information about the patient or about a disease or about exactly. something. Exactly. But the yeah. older physician is either going to go right. back to his office and do it then or right. do it later mm -hmm. and then follow the, call the patient yeah. back. Yeah. You know, so again, the younger physicians, I think, have some technology strengths that allow them to see more patients quicker and make better diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can share that knowledge and the generational differences, we've all been raised in different generations, right. but if you share those generational differences, you really strengthen your whole team. Mm -hmm. And do you find that when you go back and you present this information to your clients that they are receptive to making changes? Almost all the time. You know, it's just a matter of being able to present it and explain what the difference would be. What if it looked like this? What if you tried this? Um, and formulating those intergenerational teams to work together. 
it doesn't take long before they realize, wow, she was right, or, or you know, this does make a difference. I had one client who didn't really like the younger physicians at first. You, you know, he wanted to hire, they had to be out at least three years. Um, we talked about why, and you know, there was all kinds of what are some various of the perceptions. What they present for that? Um, they don't work as hard. Um, you know, their mindsets are different. They're, they want work-life balance, which seems to be a negative word. Um, I was going to say, doesn't everybody don't want work-life balance? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Right. You know, it's just that this generation right. is prepared to ask for it mm -hmm. and get it. Right. Um, so it's having them understand that what they want is no different than what we've all, all, always wanted. But this generation is prepared to ask for it. Um, but anyhow, after we hired several of the younger physicians, and I said, get them engaged in teams, put them in on your committees. Don't wait till later. From day one, engage them. And now we've had feedback from him that that's the best thing I ever did. Wow. Because the new innovation, the new mindsets, they bring a different piece to the table than, you know, old ways. Right, right. And, and new is good. Yeah. And old is good too. It's, it's finding that balance and blending the two, I would imagine. Right, exactly, work. exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not getting rid of one or putting out the old, it's being open to the new mm -hmm. and being open to new innovations and yeah. new ways of doing things. Right. And that's, that's nothing new. People, you know, every generation has had to face that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just changing mindsets. Right. And like you said, it really works when people are receptive Absolutely. and then apply right. whatever the information is that's being presented. Right. And you know, you'll have your naysayers, you'll have some position, you'll have some leaders that don't want change. You know, that's just a fact. Um, and sometimes you have to make that hard call to say, you know what, you're a great physician, but we're going to move you from this committee over to this committee and bring on the new blood that can re-energize and, and regenerate innovative yeah. ideas. Awesome. Got to take a break. Kathy, hold Perfect. our thought. We'll continue the conversation after this. Stay with us. We are back in a moment. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. Tonight, we're focusing on the changing dynamics of the healthcare industry and how those changes could impact your health. And we are talking with Kathy Jordan, and Kathy has a wealth of information for us, so let's continue the conversation. One of the things you talked about in the first segment, Kathy, that I think is very important is preventative health. Mm -hmm. What can we as individuals do to better take care of our health so that we don't have to worry about having to go to see a physician. Of course, if you have to, you have to. Right, but right. There are steps I'm sure that we can take to keep ourselves healthy. Right. Um, it, it's just basic common sense. We all know that we should eat right. That you know, whatever diet you're, you know, understand your gut, understand what's going on with your gut, so that you eat healthy. Um, do exercise. Uh, it doesn't have to be extreme. I think that's what some people think exercise means. You have to get a, go to the gym for an hour and a half. It can be a 20-minute walk. You know, it's just getting your, your body moving and your, your heart beating a little bit faster. Um, and watching out for your mental health. Um, That's me important. Oh, mental health, especially in Missouri, in the rural communities in Missouri, we have a serious problem with mental health. And what are you I, seeing? Um, it's just, it's a combination of just not being able to succeed. It's, many of them are more low-income families, struggling to survive with children. Um, you know, in a, communities that just don't have the services available. And if you don't seek help, those mental health conditions just continue to get worse. Um, and it, it's just something that I think as a, as a community nationwide, we need to be addressing mental health. I mean, look at the, the children that are committing suicide. You know, the things that, the bullying, the things that are going on that if you're not an astute parent or an astute uh, employer, 
you may not notice those things until you get to the point where you have an employee that is having a nervous breakdown. And there could have been so many warning signs if you just learned to open your eyes and be aware. Mm -hmm. uh, but the most critical part that I think is so sad is, is the children. Yeah. Um, today's society has really created such a stress on them that you know, most of us never faced until we were adults. Uh, and they're facing it not only in junior high, but in middle school. And in some cases, elementary school. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely totally. right. Yeah. yeah. So what does the research show about who is actually entering medical schools now? Well, for the first time this year, we had 50, more than 50% were women. Wow. Um, so that's encouraging. I mean, mm -hmm. I really do think that uh, women do have a compassion, a little bit of different mindset. Our brains are wired differently. Um, but it is becoming a, a more, it used to be 75% men. Now it is 50% women. And then what's driving that, you think? Um, I think it's a combination. I think women now want to have careers. You know, years past, most many were mothers. Um, there is a compassion to it. There is the compassion of a mother you know, saying, I want to not just help my family, I want to help society. You know, and I think there's just this drive. It, it's a common component of the woman, a woman's nature um, to want to help and to want to make a difference. And be leaders. And be leaders. And, you know, there are, there are study after study, and we couldn't name them right now, but the study after study of women leaders have it's been proven that when you have women leadership, you become more profitable. And it truly is just a different mindset. Men want to take action that immediately. You know, they see the problem, they want to solve it, and they want to take action. Uh, not a bad thing, not a bad trait. But if you balance it with a woman's intuition, of let's analyze the problem, look, look at the variables, you know, kind of more in-depth, um, touchy, touching and, and really looking at what's there. Um, and then taking the two mindsets together, what you create is totally wonderful for yeah. healthcare, but in any area of life. But Is there um, a concern that the shortage of physician can prevent the groundbreaking discoveries for diseases and technology that we're seeing. I mean, every day you pick up a paper or, or a magazine, you can see some new discovery or something advancement in medicine. Mm -hmm. But if there is a shortage of physicians, do you see that that could stall a little bit? You know, I don't think so because you have your physicians that, you know, tend to go to academic medicine. I mean, they, they want to. Uh, continue their growth and, and continue to educate others and most of that usually involves research of some sort. And then you have the clinicians that just want to do research. So I don't think it's really impacting it that much. I think it's just a mindset that, you know, once you get into medical school and you begin to get engaged in an area or a field that really has your heart, um, you may go toward the research side. You know, you may think that I want a position in a medical school where I can do 35% research and you know, some teaching and the rest be clinical practice. Um, so I don't really think we're seeing that impact. The One of the things side. that we're seeing, which I think is really helpful, is that some universities are now offering free tuition yeah. for their students who are entering medical Absolutely. schools. In fact, Washington University, just, just here in St. Louis, just made right. that announcement. That was the seventh medical school that's offered that. Um, I think is putting up 100 million for the next decade to contribute to free tuition and partial tuition support. Um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I haven't read a, whole, mm -hmm. a lot on it yet, but it's going to be based on merit as well as need. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that's going to impact the amount of people that are going to be going into medicine. Yeah, because that's a huge barrier financially. Yeah. The average debt of someone coming out of just medical school and residency, that doesn't mean if you've gone on to fellowships, is $200,000. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. 
that's a lot of money. And then people seem to think that once you finish medical school that you're going to go on and start a career where you're making $200,000. Right. Right. And I don't think that's necessarily the yeah. case. Well, and that's Obviously where the... depending on your specialty, but still. Right. And that's the switch that we've seen too. And part of the reason why we, you know, in, in the older years past, primary care physicians made much less than the cardiologist, the orthopedic surgeon, the specialist. So, while you may not have really, you may have loved primary care, you went ahead and went on to your fellowships to make more money. You know, so there, therefore we really had this critical shortage of primary care physicians. Where now, number one, we have changed some of the comp structures and primary care physicians are making more. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. <coughs> but we're also trying to promote more people to come into medicine. And if you don't have the $200,000 in debt when you finish, it's not going to be, well, maybe I don't need to grow that fellowship. I truly enjoy just working as a primary care physician. Yeah, and so Washington, you said, became the seventh the university seventh. in the country? Correct, in That's the last awesome. two years. Yeah. Yes. Do you think more universities will I think so. I think so. They've path. all been very um, highly recognized institutions. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that the, you'll, we're going to see more of it, and I think it's fabulous. It's, yeah. It really is, because there's so many people that want to go into medicine, they just cannot afford it and they can't face that debt. Mm -hmm. And then we lose out on that talent. Right. If you, you have know? the mindset and the talent to become a physician, you know, my gosh, let's provide what we can to make sure we're getting the right people in medicine for the right reasons. Yeah. So when you look at candidates, Kathy, because you also work in recruitment, Correct. obviously. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what do you take into consideration when you're looking at, say, a physician or a nurse for placement? We try to understand exactly what the candidate wants from a practice. You know, do they want a lot of hospital inpatient work? Do they want to do primary care but turn their inpatient over to a hospitalist? Um, you know, do they want to um, perform certain procedures that they have become very adept at? You know, whether that be, you know, utilizing certain surgical skills. Um, so we want to understand what the candidate needs, not just the candidate. It really comes down to what the family needs. So, you know, do we have special needs children? Do you have a spouse that needs a position? You know, we, get, we have to make sure we're going into a community that both of you can be happy. Um, so we really dig down uh, with that physician to try to understand their needs. And we also try to understand their strengths. You know, is this a potential leader? You know, there, we do some uh, behavioral interviewing. We do some screening with a personality test if the client requests it so that we can understand, is this a, does this person have potential for leadership? Then when we go to the client, we can try to match that up. Is this client going to be able to provide what this physician and their family needs? Because yeah. retention is what we really have to focus on. To get a physician into your community, have them stay two or three years and have them leave, you know, depending on the specialty, that can be up to a million-dollar loss for an institution, and that's huge. Mm -hmm. So how critical is this situation in regards to the shortage of physicians? You know, they're predicting that there's going to be about a $130,000 shortage. $130,000. <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> $130,000 physician right. shortage yeah. by 2030. Wow. Um, so that's pretty dramatic. That is pretty dramatic. I don't think we're going to be able to overcome that. And that's why I think the nurse practitioners, the physician assistant realm, is going to help to offset. And I think that you know the telemedicine is going to help to offset it. You know, the, the systems are looking at what can we do differently to be able to make sure that we're getting the best quality of care to these physicians, um, and while offsetting. Um, 
Yeah, well, I think that they're on the right track, especially even with the universities now that are offering the free tuition to correctly medical yes. schools. So that's great. Got to take a break. Stay with us. We are back in a moment. Final thoughts are up next. Welcome back. Time now for final thoughts. And Kathy, let's talk a little bit more about the universities that are now offering free tuition or scholarships to students who are coming into medical school to help offset some of the changes that we're seeing in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's going to become much more prominent uh, as we go forward. Um, WashU doing it was, a, a, you know, like I said, they're the seventh medical school that's done this. There's a few more that I won't mention that are, are looking into this model. Um, I think that's going to make a huge difference in, in helping to impact the shortage. Still don't think it's going to fix it completely. We're going to need to be looking at other avenues. Yeah, because uh, it's critical. It's critical. Point. It's critical. I mean, we, you know, we want everybody to have access to quality health care. No one, we're the, unfortunately, we're one of the few, we're the Western country that doesn't provide quality health care to every person. And I think that's our goal. You know, whatever model we choose to do that with needs to be tweaked, you know, whatever side of the fence you're on. Um, but it's a, it's a given that this is something we all have to be seriously concerned about. Yeah, and I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kathy Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Thank I appreciate you. you. And thank you for joining us for the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for News 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. I'll see you next time. One, two, three. Four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.